Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I am so excited to present to you our latest episode. In partnership with the Foundation for Jewish Camp, Thank You for Coming Out took part of their S'more Wellness Day of Learning around mental health in Jewish Camp. We recorded this episode in front of a live Zoom audience, and I hope you enjoy. Thank you for coming out. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. For those who I haven't met, my name is Jill Goldstein-Smith, and I use she, her pronouns. I'm one of the senior program managers at Foundation for Jewish Camp, and it is my true pleasure to introduce our closing session of today's S'more Wellness Day of Learning, which has been focused on the intersection of mental health, gender identity, and sexual orientation, and it's part of the Yidid Nefesh Blessed Soul Initiative to nurture mental, emotional, social, and spiritual health at Jewish camp, generously made possible through the Marcus Foundation, as well as UJA Federation of New York. This past summer, camp shared a number of top challenges they faced as they saw an increase in the amount of severity of mental health needs for campers and staff, including the ability to support uh, campers and staff in their full identities. Today's day of learning is in response, and I want to share that Foundation for Jewish Camp is excited to announce the next more wellness day of learning to support mental health and community care on Monday, May 16th, directly focused on other trends camp saw and are expected to continue this summer. And I want to bring it back now to today's focus on mental health and the intersection of gender identity and sexual orientation, and I'm so grateful uh, to be able to have uh, today's podcast recording of Thank You for Coming Out. Uh, in a moment, I'll share more about our host, Dubs Weinblatt. Um, before we do so, a couple logistics. Uh, Dubs will be asking lots of questions, and we'll have time at the end for questions from all of you as well. Uh, if you have a question that you would like asked, please send a direct private message to me, and I will take care of those questions being included. And Now's the time that I will invite everybody, uh, as one does in a podcast, to please turn off their video as we're doing this on Zoom so that we can bring our focus to um, Dubs and our guest today. Dubs Weinblatt, with they, them pronouns, is the founder and CEO of Thank You For Coming Out, which strives to inspire authenticity and belonging by uplifting, centering, and celebrating LGBTQIA plus stories and identities through their podcast, improv show, and other forms of art and storytelling. They are the co-founder and executive producer of Craft Your Truth, which is an organization that encourages LGBTQ folks to use any kind of performance art as a way to express their stories and connect with their community around them. They were most recently the Associate Director of Education and Training for Keshet, and they are a member of FJC's Cornerstone Fellowship faculty. They are a recipient of the Gay City News Impact Awards, was named one of Logo's New Now Next, six inspiring LGBTQ Jewish activists you should be following, and I hope you are following them. 
and they were recently named one of Jewish Week's 36 Under 36. Debs, thanks for being here today. Wow, thank you so much for having me and for reading my long bio. (laughs) It's so long. (laughs) I need to edit it. Thanks, Jill. Thanks so much for having us. This is going to be so fun and exciting. And it is now my honor and privilege (laughs) to introduce my guest, our guest for today, Emma Mazzi, she, her pronouns, is a Jewish arts educator working in youth programs at the Union for Reform Judaism. She has worked in Jewish camps from Israel to California and is an alumna of HUC's Ray Hirsch School of Education. She now lives in Cleveland with her wife, Emily. There are two dogs, Aggie and Franklin, and their guinea pig, Hank. Emma, welcome. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Happy to be socializing with someone since I work from home all day. Yeah, that's so real. I'm so happy to be here too. I'm currently in Texas with my entire family, um, which is lovely. And I'm also so thrilled to have some time for me and you. (laughs) That is (laughs) fair. (laughs) Yeah. And I also, I'm wearing tie-dye in honor of camp. I'm wearing plaid because it's gay. (laughs) It's so perfect. I love how, dare I say, on brand we are. Yeah, very, it's important to coordinate, dress for the job you want. That's exactly right. Yep. All right. So we all have multiple coming out stories. We all have multiple coming into ourselves stories. And so I would love to hear one of those stories that you have prepared for us today and bonus points if it has to do with camp. It does. It does have to do with camp. All right. Uh, So I always was like the tomboy growing up right like loved sports always had like guy friends rough and tumble um but I also like knew other girls who were tomboys so it never felt like so out of place um and then in middle school I was actually on a bus going to a nifty event and our synagogue got picked up first and then we drove across the bay I'm from Tampa originally so we drove across the bay and picked up another synagogue's youth group. And this girl got on the bus and it was like a light bulb moment. Like immediately, it was like, you can't make this up. It was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> and it, it was just like a, like I said, like a total light switch moment. And she and I became like very close. And, you know, like we never dated, but we had this like sort of romantic thing going that like helped me explore a little. But really it was like less than six months after that I went to camp for the first time I'd gone to day camp but I'd never gone to sleepaway camp and I went to URJ Kutz camp RIP and uh, I was 13 I wouldn't turn 14 till that August so like a very like transitional moment transitional age and camp was really the first place that I was able to sort of be out from the start Like it was this place where I I really only knew like maybe two people and didn't know either of them very well, which was very off brand for me. I was like a very shy kid. And so I went there and it was like this very unique opportunity to be in a space where no one knew me. No one had like pre-existing expectations or understandings of who I was. And so being queer was an initial part of people's getting to know me and I obviously had not experienced that before I had a very like traumatic middle school experience which I'm sure is super relatable um to everyone Mm -hmm. um 
and I didn't have to worry about the people that were part of that problem. I was not going to high school with those people. So it was like this very liminal, very transitional moment in my life and coming out became this very central part of that in a way that I think really positively shaped my experience continuously coming out in the future, right? Like anyone who's had to come out knows that like coming out is never a singular experience. It's sort of just this ongoing thing throughout your whole life that every time you meet someone new, you do again. Um, and it, like my experience at camp and, and being out and coming out was so positive. I, which I know I'm very lucky. This was the, this was 2006. So like not all sleepaway camps had this like very embracing culture for queer people. Um, but it like gave me this very clear sense of confidence in that. And I didn't come out to my mom until years later, even though she was super, like she had gay friends, like it, that it was never going to be an issue. I just wasn't ready for that relationship to change, but everyone else, it was like not an issue for me anymore. Like it, there was still the confidence of those like awkward social interactions, like battling those, but the, the fear of coming out was a much lower th- risk to reward for me because mm. camp created this really safe space where like I was able to meet other queer people and people didn't care that I was queer. It was just another part of my personality and a part of who I was and like that that created not only a very special bond between me and my sexuality but between me and camp that mm. I became a Jewish youth professional because that was such a formative part of my my developing identity wow thank you so much for sharing that's so I love hearing this positive spin on, you know, I feel like so many of the stories that I hold when I, when I have these conversations is that there's this, there's this uh, almost arc where it feels really challenging for a really long time. And then, you know, people have to work through, you know, the traumas and the, you know, when they come out to people not going so well, you know, not all of them are like that, but it's really refreshing to hear. Not only was it so positive for you, but it, it actually influenced your, it made you want to become a youth professional, which is right, like, I, like I said, like I, I recognize that that is a super privileged and lucky space that, that I was given and that that is not the reality for many queer people. And I am super blessed to have had the experience I did. And yeah. like I said, camp played a, a huge role in that. Yeah. For me, mine was pretty much the opposite of that, where it's like, I tried so hard and, and my, my identity is different than yours. Right? I'm a genderqueer mm-hmm. trans person who doesn't fit neatly within the binary. Didn't really know that when I was a kid. So I didn't go to sleepaway camp because I was scared right. to be in a girl's bunk and I didn't want to be in a boy's bunk. And so it was like, you know, it had a very different effect on me and I had to work really hard to find my way back to Judaism and back to wanting to be part of this world <laughs> it was and it's it's tough so i'm i'm so happy i'm talking to you about this to have a positive spin on it um, and, and i'll say like nothing is perfect right like camp wasn't this perfect space where like any queer person came and was just immediately welcomed and and whatever like 
I, I also recognized that like my queer identity was really easily digestible mm. and that wasn't necessarily the case for everyone. And I, I spent eight summers at Kutz between being a camper and being on staff. And it wasn't until really the very end of that time that a lot of that gender exploration acceptance started becoming a more transparent part of camp and not this sort of like underlying, oh, well, of course it's okay, but we just haven't really talked about it kind of concept. Mm -hmm. And I also recognize that I went to a very progressive camp and that a lot of sleepaway camps, even in the Jewish world, were not even nearly as accepting of my, you know, quote unquote, digestible queer identity. Yeah. I want to, I would love to talk to you about, um, kind of the signals that were being sent to you implicitly, explicitly um, for you to know that it was okay to even come to camp and share that part of you with other people. Like, you know, I, I know you said you, there were a few other people who were out and maybe that was helpful, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm wondering if there were other kind of markers or anything, anything that you can recall that would, you know, that let you know that it was okay. Yeah. So safe. marketing, uh, advice for camps the thing that got me to camp in the first place was I'd gone to a junior nifty event and to this day I like could not tell you who the person who called me was do not remember her name but it was probably the most influential phone call of my life Mm. Uh, one of the like older niftyites made calls to all the people who had gone to the junior nifty event specifically marketing cuts and and saying like if you liked this nifty event you went to it's like a three and a half week nifty event like this Jewish camp. Mm-hmm. And so for me, who had never been to sleepaway camp and who had just done that and had a positive experience, I was like, you know what, I'm in. And like I said, super uncharacteristic of me, was terribly shy as a child. In kindergarten, I cried for two weeks and my mom had to leave me her diamond necklace as collateral to prove she was coming back. Like when I say shy, <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a dramatic flair, uh, but <laughs> I... I, I went and it coming out at camp wasn't necessarily part of my decision. That wasn't part of my forethought. It was really this, like, I'm going to get to have even more of this really positive Jewish experience with peers that I just experienced. And then I got there and there were, there was another, there were queer girls in my bunk. There were, there was this like very, there were several out people who in different social groups. So it wasn't like this, like niche kind of, queer group like it was very dispersed throughout camps or social dynamics there was queer staff and like all those things made it very comfortable for me early on and like I was a bit of an alternative kid like if you think early 2000s like queer girl you know I I played the part a little paint (laughs) us a picture picture. so like I had the like dark dyed hair covered half my face like chopped at hot topic mm. you know i i was giving out all the calling cards and what so was on your ipod hard. sorry to interrupt um, you i gotta know oh, what's no, on your you're ipod good. like <laughs> I, it's still on what's on my ipod let's be honest my favorite spotify station is pop punk powerhouse mm. um, all time low cues what we aim for you know that kind of vibe awesome fallout boy but I like, that was it, it wasn't hard to spot me being <laughs> like I wasn't I wasn't like subtle you know <laughs> um, 
So the queer people found me pretty quickly. Um, and I think that also helps. Like I said, I was shy and they were way more outgoing than I was. And so the initiative that they took to sort of bring me into the fold. And like I said, it was dispersed throughout several like social groups. So it wasn't like I was just being brought in by these queer people. It was like, oh, like I kind of make that connection. And then it was this whole group of people, whether they were queer or not, like it was a social circle that I was then being brought into. And like I said earlier, I did not have a positive middle school experience. So that was not something I was very used to when it was incredibly like validating and and very much filling a void and and meeting a need that I hadn't been getting Mm -hmm. and I I think that again was a huge piece of this like associating being out with acceptance in a way that I wasn't getting before Mm -hmm. that's so special like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm super lucky and I know that. And it's played a very positive role in shaping me as an adult. Yeah. Do you, are you still in touch with, shall we call this person like school bus girl or like, you know, like. No, but fun <laughs> fact, I found out recently, she is a professional bodybuilder. Now. That is a fun fact. It's a very fun fact. <laughs> um, yeah, that is fun. I'm going to file that under fun. um okay so I I love this idea of talking about well maybe I don't love maybe I love the idea is not the right phrase to set this up but I'm curious about this idea of talking about easily digestible identity yeah and for folks who who don't maybe who don't know what that phrase means can you tell us what you mean by that when you say an easily digestible identity. Right. Like, I, I think there's a few pieces that play into that one. Like my identity was, it was easy for other people to feel safe with me in that. Um, there was not great, but there was media representation already for queer women, um, women as opposed to men socially are deemed much less threatening um there was and like this isn't necessarily a positive piece but like there was a very much a hypersexualization of queer women that for all the negative pieces did make it a lot more socially acceptable than some other queer identities um i i fit into this binary that already existed within camp of girl bunks and boy bunks like there, there were a lot of these pieces that I, I was able to fit into an existing structure and an existing social reality without like rocking the boat too much. Um, and like I said, like I, now it, it's, there's so much more diversity in what is queer culture. Mm-hmm. Um, even when we're talking about like 15 years ago or so, like like I said, I played the part, like I fit the role. Like I was, I was in this very niche box that was kind of the stereotypical queer female culture, queer culture in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, I, I was easy to understand. Mm-hmm. And I think that ease of understanding kind of let people 
be more open to me as a whole human in a way that uh, something that an element of an identity that's more complicated doesn't necessarily fit into an existing structure takes more of that space and that's not fair and it's it's not I I don't necessarily I think we have a lot of work to do on eliminating that but especially in the time period we're talking about that was a huge reality yeah yeah so this idea of there's kind of a, an already established, mm, I was going to say norm, and maybe that is the right word, or norms, or a, 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 an established narrative that it's like, okay, so if you're not straight and cisgender, maybe it's like, and now actually I talked to a different thank you for coming out podcast guest about this, like one identity away from the the norm mm-hmm. makes it so much easier for people to wrap their minds around. Right. Um, what that identity might be. Um, and like you said, also, it's less threatening. And um, I don't really want to talk about politics, but there is this, uh, right now, there's this myth being spread as disinformation around uh, queer people being pedophiles and groomers, which mm-hmm. is, I don't really want to talk about it unless you want to talk about it. But it's, but what it is, is it's, it's creating panic, and it's making people think that queer people are threats to other right. people. And so, Okay, now I'm going to put that in a box away. And it's like, so like, you know, um, how do we create narratives and how do we create spaces where even if we're 72 identities away from the quote unquote norm or narrative that, you know, are set up, you know, how do we create space for everybody? Right. Like, and, and I do, I think so much of that is not only positive representation, but like real representation, like mediocre represent, like just mundane representation in pop popular media. Mm-hmm. Um, Heartstoppers just came out like last on Friday. My wife and I have literally already watched all the way through twice. Um, I don't know this, what that is, so please. Oh please. my god, Dub Girl, love it. Okay, please. so it's so it's based on graphic novel, and the author of the graphic novel wrote the um wrote the show as well didn't just influence but was like a head writer Mm. and it's focused on this gay boy in an in a boys school in England and sort of the secondary character who befriends him a secondary boy who befriends him and slowly comes to terms with his bisexuality there's also an openly trans female character who is like phenomenal and and is also a trans female actress and it just does such the such a great job of showing sort of real queer experiences because it's written by real queer people mm-hmm. and written for you know the greater audience but like it, it's written to really make those connections for queer people to see themselves in mm-hmm. and it's not just this like oh you know the grand plot line and whatever like it shows some of these like very like normal pieces also that get left out a lot and I think that's a huge piece of the missing puzzle to making the making those distanced pieces of identity feel closer right like if you can see yourself in someone 
it's a lot easier to relate to the pieces you can't see yourself in because you could sort of make those connections, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're in a small town, if you're in a very isolated social group, like media is, is the really universal connector in a lot of those opportunities. And Hollywood's got a long way to go, but there's, there's moves being made. And I think that's a really positive thing. Yeah. And it's that, you know, just to kind of pull on what you were already talking about, which is the idea of authentic representation and writing. Um, and it's for me, at least as a, as a genderqueer, non-binary person, it's so rare to see moments, to, to see moments, to read moments in books where um, it feels authentic. It feels real. Yeah. And it's happened a few times in the last, I don't know, six months, maybe. And each time it happens, I am like on the verge of tears because I'm like, is this what it is? This what it feels like to consume media? Is this what it feels like to consume media that represents me like truly? And it's it is wild. And then it's also for me, for me, it was like, I can't believe I've been missed, even though like I know cognitively that I'm not right. reading trans stories, but to then actually consume it and to feel it. Mm-hmm. was it, that connected something for me it's like wow I've really been missing this right and it's not a victim character on an SVU episode right exactly. which is like 90 percent of the queer media <sighs> from the early 2000s yes that's so true that's so true yeah so 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 how do we how do we make camps become you know even you know like you said you know you went to a very progressive camp and I'm not talking about I'm just talking about camps in general right yeah. like, like what what else could you have used like what could I have used to know that camp could have been a safe place for for us to go and 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 I also want to talk about too and I'm asking you a million questions at once and I promise I'll bring us back to course you're good um what progress you've maybe actually boop let's let's do this I'd love to to know like your experience just like being in the the camping world for so many years what progress you have seen and like what celebrations are there and then I'll get us to what else can we do I apologize in advance if you hear my dogs freaking out. My wife just pulled in from work. Oh, so they're right. going a little bit crazy, but I have nibblings <laughs> and dogs on the other side of that door too. It's all good. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. So the progress question, right. It is huge. Honestly, it's like day and night, truly. Um, I went to the San Francisco AIDS walk with Camp Newman one year and they, they're, Avodah program, which are um, incoming juniors in high school, go to Pride every year. And I've been in these camp environments that like normalize sharing pronouns, normalize using pronouns, um, normalize being in bunk or in room, depending on the situation, like the camping structure situation with the gender they identify with. And like these, it, it, I think the normalizing is the big piece here, right? Like if camp as a leadership structure right makes a huge deal out of this it's it's not doing it to the benefit of your campers in your community right like that's to the benefit of camp the the infrastructure camp the like noun the identity not camp the community normalizing these things making these things like oh of course we're doing this it's a part of our value system we follow our value system point blank done like it's it's not a big deal it just is who we are as a community 
that's the biggest foundational piece, right? Like only then can, can other pieces be built on top of that. And I think some of those other pieces, right? Modeling a diverse staff that if you're the goal of your staff, first and foremost, uh, after health and safety, obviously, is to positively role model the values of your institution. And if the value, one of the values of your institution is we embrace everyone where they are and how they come to us, that in the image of God, then you have to model your staff after the community you're trying to attain. Inclusion is an action. It, it's an active process. It's not a passive process. You have to reach out and create the community that you want to hold. And modeling your staff is a big piece of that. Modeling your material, your, um, what's the word I want? You can edit this. In okay. <laughs> um, you're they're editing your marketing materials to reflect that so that you're not only reaching the right people, but that they can see themselves in that and feel comfortable coming into a conversation and making those welcoming pieces transparent. It's, it's not enough to assume that people are going to know that you're an inclusive space. You have to be as comfortable owning that and sharing that as you expect people to be coming to you. And obviously there's a million more things and each institution has its own culture and and that culture is going to play role a role in a million different pieces of creating that inclusive space but i think overarching those are sort of the bigger pieces if you want an inclusive and queer embracing community you have to reflect that in everything that goes out to anyone who's looking at your institution those are good those are really good. <laughs> and that's what, you know, in my previous role, like Keshet, I did that as if there was like a timeline. Um, <laughs> and for those of you listening who can't see what I just did, I just pointed to a faraway land. Um, not funny. It doesn't land if you can't see what I'm doing. I mean, it probably doesn't land even if you, you can't had to see be what there. I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. Um, now I forgot what I, what point I was trying to make. Oh, but that's, but this is exactly, yes, thank you. Exactly what we talk about too, right? So like, it can't just be a one-off training, though those are very helpful because it starts to give language and understanding and building a foundation towards the work um, that needs to be done. But this is uh, a systems shift. This is a values right. shift. And even if your values are already there, do your systems match your values and back up your values. Like you said, like we want to live our values. This is how we're doing that. Um, what about year round? So like we're, we're our... Um, at camp and, you know, we're letting, we're inviting campers to stay in a bunk that matches their gender, matches and affirms their gender identity. Mm-hmm. What about in February? What can, I, I what can camps be doing in Feb? It's, it's, it's everything that you do as an institution, as a camp that anyone else sees or in, engages with your social media, your email blasts, your newsletters, your images on your website, the text on your website, all of those pieces that are are engagement oriented also need to reflect that value system and and openly and proudly and loudly and it applies to gender and sexuality it applies to race it applies to disability inclusion 
it applies to all these different pieces that are are not a given for the people in those minority groups that you're going to not only see them but that you are actively working to create a space for them in your community um anytime you talk to a potential camper um a camper's adult any of those things and and you share your pronouns even if it means nothing to the adult and they don't even notice like that kid could be going through their own thing in their head and that could be a huge memory making moment for them that gets them to buy in it's just making these things a normal part of your practice in a way that becomes the norm for anyone engaging with you yeah Absolutely. I was doing a a training for a synagogue yesterday and we talked most of the time about making the implicit explicit. Yeah. And uh, we, you know, one of the teachers was reading a book and there was a kiddo in the book that happened to just not be named and didn't have pronouns. And so in her mind, she was like, I'm going to use this as a teachable moment and I'm going to give this kiddo they, them pronouns. And then, um, she got nervous because she'd never done that before, but she, she started. And so she named it at least, she named that character once. And then we talked through, you know, new things take time. But even in that one moment of you naming they, them mm-hmm. pronouns is a very, very key and important, like you said, that could be a, an indicator for anyone sitting in that classroom who's been thinking about they, them pronouns, yeah. has a sibling, has a cousin, has a friend, um, saw it on a show. Um, right. You know, and it's, you know, the more we practice those things too, right? I think one of the, one of the, um, one of the biggest kind of, I don't know if I want to call it a hold up, but hesitation maybe for, for really kind of any legacy institution, camps, synagogues is this is how it's always been. Right. And And I'm scared if I make these really big foundational changes, then we're going to lose a lot of our base or we're not going to resonate anymore with, you know, X, Y, Z, you name it. Or, or the very real reality of like, I have donors who aren't going to like that we're doing this, Mm -hmm. or I have board members who aren't going to like that we're doing this. And right. Like at the end of the day, those people are buying into your institution because they believe in what you do. And if you're clear that this is a part of what you do. This is a part of camp's holistic vision and holistic value system. And we do this so that we can also do these other things that you love and bring in the, you know, future of our community. Then you make it a priority along with all of the other things that they believe in. And you're not going to win everyone over a hundred percent of the time, obviously, but most of the time you can at least get someone to understand that like, okay, I, I'm, I'm not in agreement with this, but I'm in agreement with all these other pieces and you're, I'll let you do your job. Yeah. And I think too, another piece of that, that I think sometimes people, um, forget or don't don't really put together are the positive the positives of living in your values so let's say you do a camp or an instant you know synagogue whoever it might be right um puts out every month 
you know, names what month it is and what holidays, you know, like National Coming Out Day or, you know, whatever it might, Black History Month, whatever it might be. Um, and there is, there is that threat of losing donors. But there's also the invitation for other people who didn't ever see themselves reflected yes. in your community before. Now they're seeing, oh, this, this institution's posting about LGBTQ identity. This institute, you know, and now I see myself. Now I get it. Now I'm going to give you some money. So there's also the positive side of, of living in your values. And I think people forget that sometimes. And, and those are the people that are going to connect you to the other people who live your value system. And Mm -hmm. those are the people who are going to buy into what you're doing and support you in the ways you need support. Yeah. And it's, um, it's really cool to see when that happens. And I think, I think too, um, part of what holds people up is like, we don't know what we don't know and new, new Mm -hmm. things feel scary. And, and kind of what, one of the narratives that's flying around right now is that non-binary, genderqueer, trans people in general, like this is like a a trend. This is new. When in reality, uh, it's been, we've been around forever. We're in the Torah, right? We're mentioned in the Torah exactly. hundreds of times um, <laughs> in lots of different ways. And so it's just a matter of um, getting people, I, I was going to say buy, to buy in, and I don't know if I like that language, but um, finding an access point for people to understand why this is important and that this isn't something that's new and that there are, you know, another thing that I get, and I, don't, I wonder if you've ever heard this in any of the work that you do is, I don't what I don't know why I need to do this work. There are no insert identity people oh, yes. in my community. <laughs> I'm lucky that I work in a very progressive <laughs> institution. So and I don't work directly with a lot of stakeholders. Mm-hmm. So I uh, I'm on the lucky end of that one. But I and I think those two things tie together completely, right? That like if you're not creating that space and opening up those access points the people in your community who do exist in those spaces aren't going to tell you like it's not that they don't exist in your community they absolutely exist in your community mm-hmm. they just you just don't know because mm-hmm. you haven't made it you haven't made those people feel comfortable enough to tell you yeah. and that can be a really hard pill to swallow and mm-hmm. it can be a really hard hit to your ego. Yeah. But it's a reality. Mm -hmm. That's almost verbatim how I answer people. (laughs) Just like, (laughs) we're here. We're just not telling you. (laughs) Like we're here. We're queer. You just don't know it. You just don't know it. Um, Though they might be like, they're wearing tie dye. So maybe just kidding. Tie dye doesn't. (laughs) Or you're like my mom and you're like, I knew when you were two, there really was no secret. (laughs) (laughs) My brother, when I told my brother, uh, he was like, I just thought you were sporty, which I think is so funny. And my sister was like, oh, sweetie, I know. <laughs> Which so I was like, all right. So everyone knew but me. But that's actually not true. I absolutely knew. I just didn't tell anybody. My mother um, was much more convinced that I was trying to fly during a blizzard to see a girl than the fact that I was flying to see a girl. <laughs> she was like, can't you just postpone it? And I was like, do you understand what I'm saying? And her response was, yes, Emma, I've met your friends. Can we please focus? Mm-hmm. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's um, families are funny. Correct. Um, that's that's a great way to say. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I just thinking about 
you know, all those. And, you know, really what you were saying too about the marketing and all of the different ways that we can live in our values are those explicit markers, are those ways, you know, to get people to, I mean, especially, you know, also this, this training I did yesterday keeps coming up and maybe just because it's top of mind. Um, I made slides about uh, like the evolution of things that we take for granted today. So it was like, women couldn't be rabbis in the conservative movement until 2006. 2006. That's not that long ago. (laughs) Like women couldn't wear pants. I think it was like until 1923. They could get arrested before that. Like the first bat mitzvah, I think we all maybe know, or a lot of us know is a hundred years ago. So like things change through time. And this is another one of those moments where we want to be paying attention to who else are we needing to expand the tent for, or maybe we take the tent down and we all build a new one together. Right. And like when we're past this point of it, and when we're in this period where it's normalcy, how do you want to remember it? How do you want to remember your experience in that process? And how do you want the history of your institution to reflect its role in that process? And those answers are complicated and they are multifaceted mm-hmm. and it, you don't need an answer right this second, but when you're in conversation about how you want your camp to exist and how you want it to live its values, that is a part of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I just had a thought and it went away. So hopefully it comes back to me, but yes, that is, that's it. Yeah. I was hoping if I just nodded my head long enough, it would come to me, but it, <laughs> but it didn't. Um, so I want to, um, I want to shift gears and I have a, I, I think you maybe already answered this in your coming out story, but unless you have another ring of keys moment, or was that your ring of keys moment? The bus. Oh, the bus was totally the ring of keys moment. Um, okay. Oh yeah. It, it oh. was, it was like that, like everything else disappeared kind of ring of keys. Moment. <laughs> mm. So for those of you listening who aren't familiar with the ring of keys moment, um, it's borrowed from fun home. Alison Bechtel is both the graphic novel and the Broadway show where small Allison is in this cafe, a uh, diner, and this, uh, this butch lesbian walks in and, you know, she's wearing like boots and has, uh, you know, like a uh, ring of keys, like on her belt loop. And it's this moment of like recognition of visibility of like, oh, this makes sense. Now I see myself in you. Now a little piece of the world is like clicking into place more than it ever has before. Um, and so I love that, you know, right off the bat, you're like, this was that for you. That's because those, you know, and, you know, to kind of tie it back to what we were talking about earlier and throughout the conversation of how important it is to have staff in any institution mm-hmm. um, reflecting the true community that you want, not just who has been there, but, you know, if you're doing all this work to uh, widen the tent for more people, we want to make sure that not, well, and so we want to make sure that that staff models that. Uh, but that the staff who are there are safe. Because I think sometimes institutions get ahead of themselves and hire people and don't have the structures in place to make sure that those staff people are safe. And it's the people, the 
language, all of these pieces, if you keep doing what you've always done, you'll only have what you've ever had and you don't grow. Yeah. And if you don't grow, you get left behind. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's very true. Um, okay. I actually, um, I had, I had a, some questions about your art and I'm wondering if the art that you do has has any influence on I don't know on camp on work on your identity on life or how you use art as a way to express yourself maybe is a better question yeah so I've been very guilty of (laughs) of not devoting time to my art recently um new house new job lots of moving pieces um but I'd say more recently the bigger direction that my art has gone has, has really been in creating my own Judaica. Um, specifically, I designed a couple of my own Talitot, um, one of which has rainbow pieces and this beautiful Star of David made out of a tree of life. Mm. Um, and I think that that process has been a really strong opportunity for self-identity and and self-development and Mm -hmm. self-growth. Partially because I have to think through these processes, right? Like what do, what choices am I making as I make this art and what do those choices reflect and why am I choosing one thing over the other, but also because they take time. And as I'm doing these small, more tedious pieces, it gives my brain space to sort of roam. Mm. And it's focused in a little more because I'm doing a physical process. Um, and I, I think it's a great outlet, whether you think you're art- artistic or not. Um, I'm a former art teacher and I tell everyone, like, there's no such thing as bad art there's Mm. work you're proud of and work you're not proud of yet Mm. um and ways to make it something you're proud of and I think giving yourself that time and space to even if it's like one of those adult coloring pages if you give yourself a point of focus and just go for it and give yourself that space I think art helps to really like open some of those like walls right in your own brain like oh but I have to get this done I have to get this done like it's giving you a space to be productive in another way while focusing on something that you wouldn't necessarily give time to otherwise and that's really beautiful that way yeah it really is and it's I mean it's just like an intentional time to yeah think through I love that idea of your brain roaming and just you know giving yourself the time and the opportunity to kind of see like what's up <laughs> what what's in there I feel like I, and yes. <laughs> especially when the pandemic and lockdown started you know back in you know we all know when it started so but I, I was still we, yes. <laughs> we all I, I believe that we were there <laughs> as a bold statement to make that everyone agrees with me we know when that was um but every person that I interviewed we all kind of came to the agreement and this isn't you know was that the sense of quiet and calm of like nothing else everything was closed so we were kind of 
everyone was home. <laughs> and so, right. except if you're an essential worker and thank you for your service. Um, and so many people came out during the pandemic yes. or insert, you know, life-changing something, left a relationship, began a relationship, you know, queer or not, you know, quit jobs, started jobs, started new businesses because of this time where brains could roam. And there was none of the busy chatter around. It was just being with self. And I love that art is a tool to kind of get those pieces moving. It's beautiful. And, right, and I think especially for Jewish professionals, taking a sense of ownership over your own physical Jewish experience is like a very cool professional development tool also, right? To like really get your, let yourself become acquainted with different practices, different tools, different traditions. Um, if you want to try tying your own seat seat, I have a video that still lives on the Bim Bomb website that walks you through that process. If you want to, I know there's um, patterns to like knit or crochet your own kipote. Like there, there's just all of these different ways to express a creativity that you may not already like own for yourself. Mm-hmm that mm-hmm. lives in there and is a part of your professional identity already. Yeah. That's amazing. There are so many Jewish like rituals or practices that I've always wanted to do. And especially when I was younger, but they're, you know, at that point in time, and I think things are changing and have changed in some spaces now uh, are de are becoming more degendered. But mm-hmm. like, I remembered what I remember I wanted to wear a talis for my bat mitzvah, which I didn't want a bat mitzvah. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but like, I, so I still to this day have never worn one. And I think it would be so powerful to wear one. I remember when I wore a kippah for the first time, that was incredible. You know, just like those moments of, are so powerful. And especially if you get to create it yourself is and it, so empowering. And it, and camp, to tie it in, right? Like yeah. camp is this really perfect bubble space to be able to, use teaching of tradition to explicitly express your values right mm. like traditionally only men wore a talis or talit or whatever but here we embrace that anyone can everyone has masculine and feminine sides and if this is something you'd like to try we welcome anyone who wants to try it to take this opportunity or to use camp as a space to do that or however you want to phrase it, whatever language you use at your institution, because I, I totally, I've had, I've had, especially Israeli staff members tend to have a really hard time with this, right? Because the synagogue they don't go to is Orthodox and like, Oh, but women can't wear a tali. Like that's for men. And it's like, traditionally, yes. And like, I'm not hiding that fact. Like I'm a Jewish educator. I'm not going to, you know, hold that out of the conversation, but I'm going to use that in the conversation to bring these opportunities in that this is, this is true. And so is this about our camp. And so this reality can be true holding those pieces that holding multiple truths, so many things can be true at the same time is such an important key of life Yes, that so many people struggle with. And 
because it's it, it, it negates the binary thinking that we've all been taught to think of right. like it's either this or this instead of actually it could be this and this and this and how do we mm-hmm. hold them all <laughs> um i could keep talking about this truly forever but i i have questions um from the audience that i want to bring to you okay, let's do this and so also if you haven't yet sent your question and you have one uh please uh dm that to jill uh, so the first one i want to ask you is um as a Jewish educator, how does this part of your identity intersect with or show up in your identity as a Jewish educator? So I've actually been very lucky that I have known several clergy people and Jewish educators who have been queer. And especially when I was studying at HUC, I was very conscious of looking at those people that I knew and and who I saw as role models to see how they sort of navigated those spaces, right? Like I I went to school at Florida State and I was a youth group advisor at the Reform Synagogue in Tallahassee for about six months. And not knowing that I was queer, I had a youth grouper say, like, it's not that I have a problem with gay people. I just definitely don't want to see it Mm. because Tallahassee was like still very Southern and like, that was a very real part of that culture. And I had to find this balance of how do I both live my life authentically and model what I consider one of my core professional values of transparency everywhere transparency can be, while also recognizing that this community holds experiences and truths that I do not hold and have not and did not grow up with. And I think that's a huge piece of what we do as Jewish educators in general, right? Like we are inherently in like the elite, quote unquote, we're more knowledgeable than a lot of people in our communities when it comes to Judaism. We have dedicated a lot more of our personal and professional lives to focusing on Jewish things And by that nature, we are separate from the people we work with a lot, however knowledgeable that they may be. And part of our responsibility is to role model. Um, And I, I think that has sort of been an underlying factor of my own, of pushing myself to kind of be out in every professional space I work in, that it's not just for my ability to live authentically, it's I am taking on the responsibility of role modeling that you can be queer and be a, and live a Jewish life and be a professional and do all these other positive things that may not have been role modeled to people in my community before. And I think because I take that mindset, it comes up a lot more than it may need to Mm -hmm. but like I make sure I say my wife and things like and make it very transparent because I want that to be clear for everyone listening not in a way of making anyone uncomfortable but to make it comfortable for the people who need to hear it yeah yeah the for the people who need to hear it um that's I mean that's what I why I 
I'm like always out <laughs> in my Jewish professional world. I think because I was at Keshet and it was like very loudly. It was almost like I I hid being gay for so long that like once I realized I was a trans person, I was like, I'm telling everybody. <laughs> I'm not keeping this a secret from anybody. And so we did my- that. It's done. <laughs> right yep not doing that again um I literally like made appointments with people to tell them um and so uh you know like so that's why I do that's why I'm why specifically was at Keshet for five years uh was to be that representation that visibility into you can be a Jewish person and be and hold queer identities they're not they're not one of those either or things multiple truths can be true you can, and it's possible, uh, because you don't have to believe in Jesus to be gay. It's like not a mitigating factor to Jewish practice. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I have, I have a few more questions, but I, I, we kind of already answered one. So I'm going to bring us to a last one before we wrap, uh, which I'm sad to do is time has flown. Um, like I said, this is the best social interaction. I'm, (laughs) I'm having a blast. Amazing. Me too. So have you ever experienced a mistake, a relationship or organization misstep with you? How did that get repaired or how did you wish it was repaired? I'm going to guess in, in regards to your, the queer identities that you hold. Right. Um, I think it's less, less missteps and more overconfidence, I think Mm. is what I've seen because the reform community tends to be on the more progressive side and and especially when it comes to the lgbtqia plus community that some of the communities i've worked in have have felt so confident in their openness and inclusion of this community that they don't necessarily realize how much room they have to grow Mm -hmm. um i worked for one synagogue when i was in los angeles that was incredibly like outwardly queer friendly and inclusive, but I was the only queer religious school teacher Mm. and I was a temporary hire because it was an internship. And like, it's, it's those kind of pieces where, Oh, we're already, we're so queer friendly. So we don't have to think about that. Mm -hmm. But, but it's like, I said, like inclusion is a continuous process. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's more of what I've experienced which again is, is great in one way in that it's not actively, you know, discriminatory because Mm -hmm. that is a reality that plenty of queer people have in religious spaces, but it, it's the flip side of that coin and, and that it's problematic in its totally own real large way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And actually that sparked, Remember when I couldn't think of the thing earlier? It was. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thank be. you so much. Full circle. Um, how how this work is act is a verb. It's active. Same with allyship. It's not a noun. It's a verb. Um, and I, I equate the work to uh, like when you're a medical professional or you know you have to do continuing education. Yes. You have to stay up to date to what are the newest medicines. What's the newest you know intervention? You know because things aren't stagnant. Things change. Um, I, I see that we are at time. So everybody who's here, uh, thank you for being here. I want to answer this question too. And then we'll, we'll move into the lightning round. So hopefully Jill, this is okay that we're going just a few minutes over. Um, thinking hopefully about I'm engaging enough that it's fine. Oh yeah. Hopefully <laughs> this is great. No, this is great. So 
Um, have I ever experienced a mistake, a relationship or organization misstep? Um, and I will say, yes, I will. Because it's like you're saying, like people are trying really, really hard. And what happens in those moments for me is when I go to that institution, and it takes a lot of energy for me as a person to go to that institution and say, hey, like, that hurt, or that maybe wasn't the best way to handle what it was, or why did this happen? Th- that in and of itself is a lot of work. And, and then requires what- a lot of emotional energy on your part as yeah. the person who's already experiencing that. Right, right, right. And so what, um, what's important to me is how that information is received, received, yes. and then what the next steps are, right? So you know, even the, this intent versus impact, right? So it wasn't their intention mm-hmm. to do harm or to hurt but the impact was that it did that. And so right. me going to those, those institutions, I have a few different ones that are, that are like flowing to the top of my mind. Um, and they were, re- they were really hard conversations and they were met with, thank you for telling me. I'm really sorry that that happened. I want to do better. Can I ask you to help me to do better? Not what do I need to do to do better? Right. Not putting demands on me, but do you have yes. the bandwidth to help me? I want to do better. So it's like those pieces that it's you know, being in relationship, being in dialogue of, because I think part of why people don't um, want to make changes is because they're afraid they're going to make a mistake. Right. Or, oh. and it ties into continuing education too, right? Things constantly changing. Right. Mm-hmm. Because you used X term this time right now and in a year it changes doesn't mean you are wrong for using it now it means that was the best you knew how to do now Mm -hmm. and part of being a a positive influence a a role model a a values driven person is recognizing that things will always change and you can always be doing better and that doesn't have to put down your best right now, it just means your best can keep growing. Yeah. And I would say the more you have people who working, who are on your staff, who represent mm-hmm. all of the values and identities that are part of your community, the more in tune and plugged in you're going to be. And it's going to feel less like a huge leap and more yes. of like, this is a natural part of our organization growing. Right. It's a value in itself. Yeah, exactly. Okay. We have a lightning round of questions. So it's going to be just answer as quickly as possible, though the catch is I was told the first two seasons that my questions were too binary. So they're open-ended. So it might be a little bit more challenging, but I promise it's fun. (laughs) I will do my best. Um, Okay. So if you could name your own crayon, what would you name it? These are hard. Wow, we started hard. You could also pass. Um, No. um, Fluorescent. Ooh, favorite time of day. Oh, like in the, I never wake up early, so I never get to see it. But in the morning, like when it's light out, but people aren't really out yet. So it's like quiet, but you can still see everything. Beautiful. That's peak. Favorite current queer media representation. The heart stoppers, hands down. All right. The, the sh- write that show down. I was talking about earlier. Incredible. Right now it has a hundred percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. That's hard yeah. to do too. All right, a favorite, uh, your favorite song that makes your heart sore. So there's a Kesha song. Kesha's my my favorite artist um, called Finding You. And it always makes me think of my wife. Oh, that's beautiful and sweet. Favorite beverage. 
I drink a lot of sparkling water. <laughs> Fancy. Favorite quote? Uh, excuse my language because I'm quoting, but Sarah Silverman has a quote along the lines of, if you don't deal with your shit, your shit deals with you or your shit's going to deal with you. Mm. And it was sort of like our motto, my college roommate and I, that and we're all just trying to turn hard work into chicken nuggets. Beautiful quotes. Perfect. All right. And I kept one binary one because I had to. Bagels or donuts? So this is controversial, but I'm going to say donuts because it's a lot harder to screw up a donut than it is to screw up a bagel. So you're more likely to have a bad bagel than a bad donut. <sighs> but a good bagel I, is better than a good donut. Okay. That's what I needed to know. That's just, okay. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. That logic is very fair. Um, Emma, this was so great. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing all of your, your stories and your wisdom. Uh, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And thank you for coming out. It is always an awkward pleasure. (laughs) Yes, perfect. An awkward pleasure. Emma Dubs, thank you so, so much um, for those who are still here with us. Today's sessions focused on policies and theory, scenarios and language. And I believe it's important that when we talk about statistics and community and mental health, that we remember that we're really talking about individuals. So to hear your stories, Emma and Debs, uh, really helped center today's learning for me. Thank you. Um, for those who are with us online, please, I invite you to share your feedback on today's learning uh, through the survey in the chat. And just uh, some last gratitude to my colleagues at the at Foundation for Jewish Camp, including Rachel and Shelowitz, who helped make today possible. Uh, Dubs and Emma, thank you for making me laugh so much that I cried. <laughs> oh wow, you're welcome. It's an honor. Thank and yeah. with notes. <laughs> that is an honor. Thank you. An honor and a privilege, truly. <laughs> truly. <laughs> thank you for coming out.